Loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired, to create a deeper life, to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello. I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, I'm welcoming Dr. Kate White. Kate is an associate professor of obstetrics and gynecology at the Boston University School of Medicine and the vice chair of academics in the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology at Boston Medical Center. She's a fellow of the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists and of the Society of Family Planning and a member of the American Public Health Association. A board-certified OBGYN, Dr. Kate's been caring for patients for more than 20 years, teaching them about their sexual and reproductive health and took excuse me, helping them navigate periods, family planning, childbirth, pregnancy loss, and every other stage leading up to menopause. She currently runs the Beacon Family Planning Research Unit, where she leads cutting-edge research studies into developing new birth control methods and discovering how doctors can better provide health care for all women. In addition to serving as a member of the Women's Health Magazine Advisory Board, she frequently lectures regionally and nationally on topics related to reproductive health. She lives outside Boston with her husband and three children, and today we're going to mostly be be talking about her recently released book, Your Guide to Miscarriage and Pregnancy Loss, Hope and Healing When You're No Longer Expecting. Welcome, Kate. It is such a pleasure to be here, Cheryl. Thanks so much. I'm really glad to have you. And of course, you're pretty much a a perfect example of the heart of this show, which is how our own experiences of loss then lead to um, big results like books and (laughs) such. Um, Because you not only are obviously renowned as a a professional in reproductive health, but you've also had your own experiences of pregnancy loss, which must really deepen the experience for your patients. I have to imagine that many people have been grateful that you carry both those experiences. Yeah, I like to say that I thought I was an empathetic provider before all this happened to me, but there is something about becoming a patient yourself having lost yourself, and then taking care of patients after that just deepens your understanding. And I say all the time that every pregnancy loss is its own journey. No one ever really understands what you go through, but there are a lot of similarities of people who have walked that road before you. And in taking care of patients going through loss, to be able to say, I also have had losses at 29 weeks and at five weeks of pregnancy, I think they just tune in differently to what I'm saying. And I think it actually makes it a little bit more believable when I tell them that they're going to be okay. And, you know, that's familiar to me as a therapist, too, that um, I've had many, sadly, many uh, clients over the years come to me after a big loss where they just didn't feel supported by the therapist they were seeing at the time. Um, that the person was very good at other things, but not good at grief at all. And um, I think even if they don't know about my personal loss, they feel the comfort I have in that area. And that might be part of it too, whether you, whether you share it or not, you're, um, you've, you've dived into those depths yourself, huh? Yeah. I mean, I think that it's, normal or natural for people to think that doctors and all therapists should totally have a handle on grief, right? We are healthcare providers, mental health, physical health. This should be our domain. But doctors and therapists and midwives, all practitioners are also human. And in America, I think in general, we don't do so great with grief and loss and death. And 
your providers are just as sometimes at a loss for words as much as your partner may be or your parents or your friends. Absolutely. And then I would also imagine um, we choose certain types of work because of our comfort zones. For instance, uh, obviously, there's there's loss involved in a in a specialty like reproductive health. That's what we're here to talk about. But I'm not I'm I'm not imagining that's what draws people to pick that specialty. Uh, it's more, yay, babies, birth, you know, <laughs> pregnant women. <laughs> yeah. so I can imagine that um, that that does affect specialty choice for some people. I absolutely think it does. I, mean, I think OBGYN is full of happy, trans- happy transformative moments. One of my closest friends is a geriatrician. My father used to joke that I would see lives into the world and my friend would see them out. And we would have conversations about the differences in what we would do. And my friend is very sanguine and very zen about the fact that death is a part of life. And I would respond to her, I don't accept that <laughs> because as an OBGYN, that wasn't what I would have to deal with on many days. She is very used to the fact that all of her patients are going to die. Now, of course, all of our patients always at some point are going to die, but she faces it on a daily basis in a way that OBGYNs don't tend to have to, which means that when there's a loss of a baby or a pregnant person, it is devastating not just to the patient's family, but to the entire healthcare team as well. Right. Absolutely. And so then, you know, this is what you do. I mean, I'm, I know for sure because it's so common you had encountered miscarriage before your own experiences. But you, can you talk some about how that impacted you to, uh, I know you had two different experiences, so maybe you can talk about both, how it impacted you to suddenly be in the, in the, uh, the other half of the equation, um, experiencing that yourself. Yeah, there's so much that you don't see as a doctor or as a provider. You know, you see the, the medical experience that a patient is going through, but you don't see what happens when they go home. You don't see what happens during the wait if it's a pregnancy loss that is in process but isn't over yet. You know, you don't get to see what happens outside the hospital doors. My first loss was at 29 weeks, and it was what I will call a traumatic stillbirth. I got incredibly ill when an aneurysm that I had ruptured, leading to very nearly the loss of my life and the Mm -hmm. loss of my daughter's life. And so when I was going through recovery from this, a lot of people found, I think my providers found it more comforting to focus on the medicine, on the doctoring, on the fact that I almost died and wasn't I thrilled to be alive? Answer was, not really. Not really. <laughs> not really. <laughs> or at least not entirely. <laughs> and also not at first, right? Because at first, my husband was glad I was alive, my mother, my doctors, but all I saw was when I woke up after it happened and knew that I had lost my baby. And that was the thing that I was focusing on. So happily, my recovery was almost complete physically, but the emotional recovery took a lot longer. And it wasn't until I had this first loss that I realized that it's not over when you go back to work. If you are lucky, <laughs> if you are lucky enough to get leave for pregnancy loss, which as far as I'm concerned, should be mandatory everywhere. Absolutely. It's not, the grieving is not done in eight weeks, not by a long shot. And so understanding that path I, you know, until I saw it, I didn't really get it. It's interesting, too, because, um, you know, people often come to see me in my practice because they've had a big loss. But then, of course, all the other losses topple out, including pregnancy losses of Mm -hmm. various kinds, including, you know, the, the hardest ones are the ones that are a bit disenfranchised that you never got a chance to really feel because everyone was ignoring it, right? You, you at least defied that and said, no, this is, this is horrible, right? right? Even though everyone else was trying to gear you past that. So I think that's a big factor too. Uh, I had a guest, uh, Cassie Underwood. I don't know if your book, your, you know her book. It's called May Cause Love. Oh, no, I don't, um, but I want to read it now. <laughs> uh, it, it's a beautiful book about uh, she She had an abortion, and she couldn't find anywhere to get 
she was not unhappy. You know, it was the right decision for her, but she couldn't find places to grieve because either she was supposed to feel very bad that she did it or she was supposed to be feeling very happy that she did it. And her experience was not just those things, right? Right. (laughs) So um, I know that's, that's a particular miscarriage, uh, loss of pregnancy, um, but particularly, you know, disenfranchised. Yeah, um, I don't need to have, I don't need to tell you or your listeners that grief is complicated, right? It right. <laughs> nicely into buckets as much as we all would like it that to happen. And I think all kinds of grief, whether it's pregnancy loss or other kinds, has layers of emotions on top of it. For me, with my loss, it was guilt. It was mm. how can I live while my daughter doesn't? Mm. And so it was not just grieving the loss of her, but it was the irrational guilt on top of it. And I think no matter how you go through your experience of loss, sometimes there are a lot of emotions that are sort of piled on one another and disentangling them can take a while. And sometimes a really excellent therapist to help help you get through. (laughs) You know that if if I were to add, you know, an important aspect, people are always adding aspects to grief. Um, stages are over, you know, yep. <laughs> aspects are more it. Um, and one I would add is guilt because, um, and, and I appreciate you're saying irrational guilt. M- much of it is irrational, but I do think it's maybe an attempt to get our agency back. If we were at fault, <laughs> we can prevent, right? Whereas many, many losses are beyond anyone's control. Cheryl, it is so much easier to think that you or want to believe that you have control over a situation than to acknowledge that you don't. And I do think that that's a lot of where guilt will come from. And it's something that I will will attack dead on with my patients, even if they don't bring it up with me, is when I'm talking about loss and the causes and how common it is and to say, now, here's a list of all the things that don't cause loss. You know, it's on how yes. much you slept, it's on if you had a drink or had sex or were stressed or lifted your four-year-old nephew, you know, because it is not your fault. And what often comes out when I say this is all the things people were ta- thinking that might have caused this in the past weeks and months, because it's easier to think that maybe something they did caused this than the fact that it's just out of our hands. That's even and- more terrifying. Absolutely. And maybe even particularly if you still want to have babies, right? If you, if you want to go through it again, you know, uh, if I had felt guilty that my wife died, it would have been very hard to remarry. And I've been remarried for, you know, 24 years or so. Um, right. So I think there is, it does have to be reckoned with, doesn't it? Um, is there anything I contributed that I can change or am I completely out of control of this? And it's my, my self in the hands of the universe, right? <laughs> right. It's your sense of self and your sense of body, especially with pregnancy loss, that all of these things are out of your control, especially for people who felt like I'm taking care of myself. I'm eating the right things. I'm exercising. I am totally going to have a healthy pregnancy. And the universe just laughs at that, right? That there are so many things that you cannot control. And I say with pregnancy, the second you conceive is the start of your journey of realizing that you don't control anything. (laughs) Yes. And if everything goes perfectly and your children are born, then you have to learn that after they're here. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. It's not like it stops once the babies are born. (laughs) No, no. It it keeps going, doesn't it? You know, I'm thinking of of an experience uh, in my own family where my daughter was pregnant with her second child And she was, uh, someone connected her with someone who was due at the very same time. And they were so happy to meet each other. And it turned out that they both already picked the names and it was the same name. And then uh, a couple of weeks before my grandson was born, they had a stillbirth. And uh, so it was the babe, the same baby's name, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Two weeks before they were going to give birth. It was pretty devastating, you know, because it was that kind of for them. Um, and, and it was 
definitely a, um, a gut drop for me too, right? Anything can happen. Um, you know, at any time, they were both very healthy young women, right? So it's a kind of an example that sticks in my mind of um, just the unpredictability of life. Mm-hmm. I think it's one of the reasons that miscarriage and pregnancy loss in particular are so difficult because people don't want to talk about it. And part of it is almost a superstitious, if I don't look at that person having loss, if we don't talk about it, it's going to protect me from having this because it make, reminds you of how vulnerable you are. And that even if you know the baby is born, that all kinds of things obviously can happen with parenting sure. through life. And interestingly, because, I think because of my daughter's experience with loss, Mm-hmm. She reached out immediately. She was very willing to be there for the other person, but she couldn't. It, it was too painful for her to yeah. be in touch with my daughter. You right. know, it was just too close, <laughs> right. I think. Um, so it goes all different directions, and we just have to trust the grief person, huh? Right, and it all changed right? okay right away, maybe fine, weeks or months. or Weeks or months later. or years later, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so I want to talk a little more when we get back from this first break, just about what did help you in navigating that loss. Was this your first pregnancy? Very first pregnancy. Very first pregnancy. So that's relevant to me also, <laughs> probably, you know, yes. every detail affects grief in one way or another. <laughs> and, and just what, what that brand new experience for you, um, you know, people obviously are not always that helpful, but other people are. <laughs> so yeah. maybe we can talk some about what did help and, of course, what didn't as well when we get back. Absolutely. Listeners, you'll find links to my website and social media, the Good Grief page at Voice America. And to find Dr. Kate White, go to drkatewhite.com, K-A-T-E. Be back soon. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. This is Good Grief host Cheryl Jones. Whether you're in grief, crisis, deep loss, or transition, working with the right therapist can move you forward like nothing else. That's why I'm happy to be sponsoring BetterHelp. Their user-friendly platform connects you with a therapist uniquely suited to support you. If you want to know more... Follow the link on my host page or go to betterhelp.com slash goodgrief. That's betterhelp.com slash goodgrief and receive a 10% discount for the first month. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is your host, Cheryl Jones. And I've been talking with Dr. Kate White, author of Your Guide to Miscarriage and Pregnancy Loss. And before the break, Kate, I was just uh, kind of introducing a conversation about what helped you. Obviously, uh, you were and are incredibly knowledgeable. You knew all the facts, right? (laughs) Um, 
I, I am curious if you actually gained more facts in that process for yourself, but you were very knowledgeable. However, you just referred to the fact that that wasn't going to help you with the grief process necessarily. Uh, maybe a little bit with the guilt, like part of you knew that you didn't cause it, I imagine, at least factually. Um, but what did help you and what didn't help you in that period of time where you're trying to come to terms with what had happened? I cannot say enough about my therapist that really being on the road to recovery really helped. It really was started with her because I was the kind of person in my entire life where I, part of my identity was being able to handle the hard things. I'm the person who can handle the crisis. I'm the person who can handle the difficulties in my family, at work. I'm the one that you go to when things are rough. Mm. And so being fine with all of that was really a core part of who I was. And so for months, a couple months after my loss, I convinced myself that I was fine. Obviously, I survived mostly intact, you know, like this, I'm, I'm okay. You, I'm fine. You, you still were fertile, apparently, since you've right. had children since. Exactly. Yes. Um, <laughs> did need some help getting pregnant. And that was, you know, that's part of the story too. But yes, I was able to have two additional children after. And I was able to convince myself that I was fine until I got back to work when my boss in no uncertain terms one day, let me know I was not fine. Mm. And that was the wake up call really to start seeing a therapist who was able to teach me that it is literally real. It's really okay to not be fine. It is okay to lean into the grief. You don't have to be strong and resilient and tough right away. That that strength can build over time. And it is okay to be vulnerable. And it is okay to ask for help, which was completely anathema before this ever happened. So what happened? The first step was a therapist that I could talk to and a safe space to cry my eyes out every week. But then it was really acknowledging that this was bad. This was rough. This was one of the roughest things I had ever been through at that point in my life. And it was okay to accept help from others. And once I was open to that, then I started to find help in all kinds of places. Huh. That's, that's really interesting because uh, as someone who lives in grief, right? <laughs> that's, that's my world, kind of. Um, it, it just has become crazier and crazier over the years to me that, that we're taught to think that the worst possible things can happen, which everyone dreads and, you know, abhors the idea of, but then they happen and we're supposed to be fine. This is just the craziest idea, <laughs> really. It, it does not fit together at all. So um, whoever that was in your workplace who I'm imagining fairly gently, otherwise you would have just hated them, <laughs> you know, let you know, hey, I'm, I'm concerned about you. However that happened and led you to support is good, that, that's really major, isn't it? Yeah, because then the healing was true, right? I wasn't papering over what I was feeling and then building this, you know, this artifice of strength on quicksand, you know, are on a foundation that was just incredibly flimsy, which is why that even though my recovery was always longer than you kind of hope it's going to be when you start, in the end, it was true and real and lasted. I mean, you, I think you know when you're going through grief, how all of a sudden you see the truth of the cliches that you hear. And the one that I think it's to this day that still gives me some comfort is that the only way out is through. Yes. And it is completely true. It was true for me then. It's been true for the losses since then um, that if you try to avoid it, it will catch up with you. There is no escaping it. There's no outrunning it. And only by really facing it, are you really truly going to heal? At least that was the experience I had. You know, we were talking about still being in, in the age of COVID here <laughs> before the show started. And yeah. I've been, I've thought about that so much, um, in this time, how much of, of all of the calamitous social climate um, dissonance, I'll, I'll just put it that way, has to do with trying to avoid a hard time, um, pretend it isn't there, 
um, pretend it's someone else's fault. You know, all the things that people do to try to get out of facing up to hard things. Right. I really do understand why people just want it to be over. I get it. You know, it's it has been a really hard 18 months and devastating for many people. And to want to fast forward through the end of this, you can see it in some media coverage about being post-pandemic, which makes all you know health professionals cackle. We are hardly not post- to mention not to mention grief counselors. Like every time we go up another hundred thousand people, that's millions and millions and millions and millions of grievers. Right. That's the thing. It's not just the lives lost or the people who were affected by the disease itself, some of whom are suffering from long COVID. It's all the lives they touch. When you think about how many people in your life would be devastated if you were gone, now multiply that by the millions of people who have been lost. Yeah, it's uh, the estimate, which I think is actually quite low, is um, five to 10 people will be very significant very significantly affected by any death. That seems way low to me. Isn't that way low? I mean, way low. low. Maybe an occasional isolated person. I don't know. (laughs) That's, I know, I, if I, I don't think I'm, you know, unusual, but if I made a list of people who would be affected by the loss of me, it would be much much bigger than that, my clients, my children, my grandchildren, you know, my brother. (laughs) You don't have to have a named relationship with someone to be affected by their loss, right? Mm, Even people in the workplace, for instance, who you might not know well, but you saw them, you saw them in the cafeteria, or you knew people who knew them, their loss can be really profound for you, even if they don't have a title of, you know, of of, of kin or of coworker, um, but they're in your sphere. They're in your circle in one way or another, and you can be deeply affected by their loss. Absolutely. So let's circle back to you've had this calamitous physical event, which also resulted in the loss of your daughter. And um, you said you healed physically much quicker than healing emotionally. Um, But I also get the impression that had real physical consequences, that experience in terms of then having children. Uh, Can you talk some about that? Because, of course, I would imagine, this is my imagination, having never had a miscarriage or stillbirth, that um, you would carry it into going forward with trying to be a parent just the way that when my wife died and I I got ready to look for, to recouple, oh my gosh, it was all over that experience, the fact that I'd had that loss. Right. Um, Yeah, the when I talk about you know, recovering mostly, there was you know a little bit of injury to my brain. When you when you lose most of the blood in your body, your your brain takes a bit of a hit and the area of my brain, my pituitary gland that suffered from this is the gland that produces the hormones that helps you get pregnant. Mm. And so even though I got pregnant my very first month of trying, thank you, birth control, after all of those years of <laughs> not, <I'm> not <laughs> wanting to be pregnant, you know, we got pregnant our, our first month of trying, then I found myself unable to conceive. So one thing I was working through in therapy at first was, what if I never get to be a parent? I know there's all kinds of ways to grow your family. My mother was adopted. Like there's all kinds of ways that you can, you know, become a parent, become a mother. But I really, ever having felt a baby move inside me, I really wanted that experience for a baby I could take home. And so I had to struggle with the idea that that might not happen. Fortunately, after four months of fertility treatment, I was able to conceive. Well, then of course, what I worked through in therapy was, oh my God, now I'm pregnant. What mm-hmm. if this pregnancy tries to kill me <laughs> like the last one did. It was, am I going to survive to term? Is the baby going to survive? And it, not really feeling okay until I was holding my son in my arms after my C-section. So it, so the physical effects, you know, sometimes linger. You know, the scar certainly does. I have a lovely scar from mm. my pubic bone all the way up to my chest bone. Um, and so that is a reminder every day. Um, and so, yeah, the, the, there are the physical scars, but those are, for me, were a lot easier to manage than the emotional ones. 
But then you do carry that into the next pregnancy. I was worried all the time. If I didn't feel him move, I was panicked. If I felt a contraction too early. Now, I'm surrounded by doctors and surrounded by ultrasounds and things where I can get reassurance all the time. And I was aware the whole time of the privilege I had that I could get that reassurance because all of my patients who have a loss in that next pregnancy, they are given no support like that. They have routine prenatal care and one or two ultrasounds. and That's all they get no matter how they're feeling, which can be really terrifying. Absolutely. I do, I do have the, the feeling, though, that it also cuts both ways. Uh, I have a niece who's a pediatrician and um, has, has two little, little children, very young children. Mm-hmm. And on the one hand, the information helps her, right? <laughs> she, she knows stuff. On the other hand, there, she gets really concerned in ways that I do think have to do with her having a bunch of information. <laughs> you know, you can, you can know too much. You, you can know too head. much, right? <laughs> and, and how does she just relax into, you know, healthy children <laughs> and all that kind of thing. So I, I do think there's uh, also uh, that kind of factor. I don't know if that affected you, but I observe it in her some, you know, I've, I've been a bookworm and a nerd probably since I was little. And so it's not surprising to people who know me that while in the hospital after the stillbirth, I took my IV pole to a nurse's station to look up the condition I had since I had never heard of it. So you can picture me in a hospital gown with a pole at a nurse's station. Everyone was too terrified to tell me I shouldn't be doing it. So they must have been holding their heads and shaking. (laughs) I was like, someone should tell her she probably should go back to bed. I'm not going to tell her. So, you because know, you think that more information will make you feel better, that more inf- that information is power and that there's strength in knowing things. And it is not completely untrue. But again, that papers over the fact that you are still having all of these feelings that all the knowledge in the world doesn't address and doesn't help. And then on the converse side about information, uh, I, you know, when I'm reading anyone's book, getting ready for this show, I'm putting myself sort of in the, in the feet of your target reader, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so in, in your, and I'm 68, so I'm not in that <laughs> situation and never will be again, but um I could imagine as someone who I just had hip surgery, you know, I really wanted all the information and the fact that uh, all the healthcare people involved gave it to me and, and offered it right ahead of time. They didn't wait for me to ask or right. Very, very comforting to me. I guess there's probably another kind of patient who doesn't want to know just, take care of it and give me my body back at the end. Yeah. But um, I could imagine that your readers are incredibly comforted by the deep dive into the information while also um, attending to the empathic need for understanding that it's a big emotional deal. Um, was that part of your, of your um, impetus in writing the book to kind of, bring all of that information along with an understanding that it's also a grief process? It was. I didn't see a book that brought together both the medicine and the emotional side of things. Books would often focus on one or another, and certainly doctors tend to as well. And I, But I recognize that all of it is part of the healing process. And unlike a scheduled surgery, where people can give you all kinds of information in advance, with pregnancy loss, No one wants to talk about it until it happens, which means that you are playing catch up with all of this information, not only about the medicine of what happened to your body, but then about emotionally what to expect after. Absolutely. And and I have to tell you, I learned a lot about things I knew nothing about, um, which if someone had one of the, like a molar pregnancy you talked about, you know, Mm -hmm. things I'd never really heard of. Um, if you were someone who had that experience, having a place to find the information about it would be, to my mind, invaluable. Let's let's talk a little more about that when we get back from our from our second break here. 
And listeners, you can go to my website, which is weatheringgrief.com or the Good Grief page at Voice America. And to find Dr. Kate White, go to drkatewhite.com. Be back soon. Follow us on Twitter at Voice America TRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice America TRN. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa. Play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. This is Good Grief host Cheryl Jones. Whether you're in grief, crisis, deep loss, or transition, working with the right therapist can move you forward like nothing else. That's why I'm happy to be sponsoring BetterHelp. Their user-friendly platform connects you with a therapist uniquely suited to support you. If you want to know more, follow the link on my host page or go to betterhelp.com slash goodgrief. That's betterhelp.com slash goodgrief and receive a 10% discount for the first month. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back to Good Grief. I've been talking with Dr. Kate White, the author of Your Guide to Miscarriage and Pregnancy Loss, Hoping and Healing When You're No Longer Expecting. And before the break, Kate, I just um, was wanting to acknowledge that, you know, some of the some of the information in your book I I knew um, fairly deeply, I guess, you know, having having supported people in all kinds of different health circumstances. But there were quite a few aspects of um, what happens with pregnancy loss that I didn't really know about. And I, I wonder, in medical school, do, is there a deep, deep dive into, did you already know all of those things? <laughs> Medical school, at least when I was there, did not talk about this really at all. You might have encountered it on your rotation through OBGYN or through family medicine, but there was really no concerted effort to talk about something that affects a good proportion of the population. You you get to learn all the rare diseases, but the common conditions that affect so many people, there's a lot less attention on. So I'm hoping that's improved today. And certainly with all the learners that cross our threshold at our hospital, I make sure that they all leave with a deep understanding of this. From the outside, and I I know know a lot of uh, doctors in my life, just because it's an intersecting, you know, (laughs) discipline. there almost seems for some doctors, certainly not all, to be a little bit of a superstition, maybe, <laughs> about telling people, preparing people for the possibilities. Like somehow if you if you tell people, then it makes it happen. I don't know what it is exactly, but I've I've noticed that with cancer treatment, for instance, that people mm-hmm. are not real in terms of share doctors are not real about sharing the very common side effects um, as if telling someone the side effects will give it to them. I don't know what that's about exactly. (laughs) And I'm sure I've got it wrong in some regard, but do you think that applies to uh, OBGYN too, that, um, you know, until something happens, it's just, yay, you're pregnant. And, you know, there's, some kind of awkwardness in sharing any kind of other information or what to look out for or anything? You know, 
Doctors and midwives know all the things that can go wrong with a pregnancy. My book, you know, describes in detail. I wanted anyone who has gone through a loss to find themselves in my book. And ergo, you get to see the entire spectrum. I mean, it's kind of amazing that any pregnancies ever work, given all the things that can go wrong. And I think doctors and midwives don't want to terrify happy pregnant people. Right, <laughs> pregnancy for people who are happy to be pregnant is a magical, wondrous time, and no one ever makes you sign an informed consent at the start of a pregnancy, saying, "By the way, I know that by continuing this pregnancy, I am putting my body through all of the risks, up to and including, you know, loss of the pregnancy, loss of my uterus, loss of my life." No one wants to think about that at a happy time, which then does mean that it is like you know being thrown into the ocean when it happens to you because you were completely unprepared that it might. Mm, yes. Yeah, I, that makes sense to me. Of course, in other areas of medicine, well, maybe they're not, having just had a hip replacement. I was very happy to be doing it. I can tell you. <laughs> right. <laughs> I hope you're feeling much better. <laughs> oh, so much better. Yes, absolutely. A miracle, actually. <laughs> a physical miracle. But um Certainly, there's all kinds of stuff you sign, right? (laughs) Just because you're going into a medical thing. And of course, pregnancy is medical and not medical. Um, That's true, too. There's a difference there. But it's a real quandary. And then, of course, for you as someone who who went through that, you were never going to not know the risks, right, on a visceral level. Um, So then... To me, at that point, the job should certainly be to have information, have support, uh, all of that, which I imagine was slightly easier for you to come by um, because you had personal relationships with people who were in that field. Right. I had no shortage of information, which most patients don't have. And that was one of the reasons I wrote the book the way I did was trying to answer all the questions that people may have days, months, years later after their loss because they were too shell-shocked or too upset to, to, or didn't have a really empathetic provider at the time and didn't feel like they got all their questions answered. I didn't you know, have a shortage of facts, but what I had a shortage of was what the heck happens now mm-hmm. and talking about what the days and weeks after a loss are like and how do you manage what your body is going through because your body very often still feels pregnant even after the baby is gone. Yes. How do you right how do you handle so all the physical changes and then the changes in your relationships with your partner, with your other kids if you have them, going back to work, time passes, other people have almost forgotten you had a loss and you have not forgotten. You know, how to navigate all of that. And so that was the road that was kind of new for me that I then got to experience, you know, one more time when I had a more typical first trimester loss. Um, But I feel like being able to pull it all together in one place and to validate it for people that this is real, I'm hoping is the biggest service of this book. Because it's really easy to hand wave past an early miscarriage. Oh, you weren't that pregnant. You can try again. At least you know you can get pregnant. None of those things <laughs> at all are I think, that, I think the rule is you're pregnant or you're not pregnant. There is no such a thing <laughs> as not that pregnant. Right. Are we in agreement? <laughs> yes. Or, or a little pregnant, right? You're just a, a little, little pregnant, pregnant, right. Or very pregnant also. You are or you're not, right? But I think that is important because, uh, you know, those losses, those early pregnancy losses are also uniquely grievous in the sense that people have created mental pictures of that child. Cheryl, you lose the dream. You may have only been pregnant for one, two, three, four months, but you've already envisioned what childbirth might be like, about how your family is going to look, you know, maybe the Christmas card picture the following year, you picture first smile, first steps. Some people freaking picture that child graduating from high school and possibly getting married. And it's the whole dream. Grandchildren, Grandchildren. which I, which I honestly never thought of being a lesbian parent. I didn't 
I didn't think that far ahead, but uh, <laughs> it, was, it was interesting enough becoming a parent. But when I when I started having grandchildren, I'm like, oh my god, it comes with grandchildren, right? <laughs> so right. Like, it's that's, funny. That's part of children, right? My, my children <laughs> so they say, right? right. It, it is pretty wonderful. But, but yes, I think all of that in an instant. Uh, it's all of that, and and. The people who were that child's parents more than anyone else. And so there's also an, maybe an isolation in it, especially because a lot of people don't tell anyone they're pregnant at the beginning, which I've always wondered about because figure people you will want to support you if something, if something goes wrong, they need to know. So it's not both at once, you know. You're a hundred percent right. The advice of don't tell anyone you're pregnant until the first trimester is over is because then they're, I guess, trying to protect you from having hard conversations. But then if you have a loss that no one knew you were pregnant, no one knows why you're grumpy or crying or you know, or sad or withdrawn because then they can't give you support that they would really like to give you. So I do tell patients maybe don't post your early pregnancy on your social media accounts because maybe you don't need your high school friend's brother to know that you're pregnant, by the way, <laughs> right? If you're going to have a loss. But anybody who could provide you support if you were to lose the pregnancy, they should get to know that you're pregnant. And I think that also has the secondary gain of helping to reduce the stigma around pregnancy loss too. Which there's been uh, a little progress in that, I feel, because... Mm-hmm. Uh, Let's be grateful for for good things that famous people do. <laughs> you know, Coming when forward f- about their losses. Absolutely. Yes, yeah, I I feel that's changed the conversation somewhat, and especially recently, um, I think it was Chrissy Teigen mm-hmm. uh, posted very recently. In case everyone thinks this that my loss isn't still affecting me, I'm here to tell you it still is. Right. right. She, she had gone back to typical social media. She's big and, you know, she yep. posts a lot and everything. Yep. I felt that was almost a more profound um, message to send out, maybe even than the original um, sharing, because I, right. people are so convinced it just goes away. Right. I am so grateful to Chrissy Teigen, Meghan Markle, everyone else who has come forward about their losses. But you also saw the backlash. That's not right, because they are they are talking about things that are typically private and hidden. And some people have this ferocious response of, oh, my God, I don't want to hear this. I want to see your pretty pictures on Instagram and picture your perfect royal life. Don't mar that image with the reality. (laughs) Right. And and also, you know, uh, a sort of um, misapprehension that somehow that comes from ego as opposed to just being oh. real. Oh my God, Cheryl. Like, like there is nothing to be gained by posting photographs of yourself puffy with an IV in a hospital weeping over your lost child. I'm sorry. There's That's nothing right. karmically to be gained from that. Uh, there, there's a, a person in the grief world who um, is very active in the grief world, does a lot of speaking and all this. And I heard her say recently that um, somebody accused her of making money off of her losses. Oh. And, she, oh. and she said, um, well, no, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> what do you say to that, right? Um, it's not a moneymaker. Other things would be more lucrative. <laughs> yeah, law, law, law school. Right. <laughs> law school, for starters, would be much more lucrative than <laughs> and, you know, speaking or writing a book about it, right? <laughs> but but I think that we are talking about kind of a, um, a still pretty substantial allergy to... Um, exposure to loss and what it means to experience loss and the things people will do to try to hot potato it back, uh, back away from them until it's them. One of the things I really regret the most is that there are no good public rituals for loss of a pregnancy, right? When a person dies, there are, depending on your faith and your cultural background, There are wakes and funerals and other ceremonies that you can do to mourn with other people, to tap into that community, to help you get through those first excruciating days and weeks. 
there's nothing with pregnancy loss, which means it's almost always silent. Other cultures do it better than in the U.S., particularly in Japan, where there are cemeteries devoted to lost pregnancies and babies, whether through miscarriage, stillbirth, abortion, all of it. And I think that is just a wonderful way to have a place to recognize these pregnancies that it does, the loss doesn't go away. It's always with you. I really take to heart Lois Tonkin's work around growing around your grief. Mm, I think yes. that things very true for myself, for my patients, that the whole is always with you, but you just get stronger around it. But that we need to have a way to be able to talk about loss, not just when it's happening, but as time passes, as Chrissy Teigen said, it's not over. It may be a year later, but it isn't over. And of course, with with that, there's uh, all the milestones that, you know, oh, they would be starting kindergarten now. They would be, you know, there's all of that that comes along with it. Interesting, you mentioned the Japanese uh, rituals because that book I mentioned, May Cause Love, I, I seem to recall that's the place she felt the most supported mm. was because she she was a journalist. She went and, you know researched every every way to mark her loss <laughs> and <laughs> and um, that was something that really did feel supportive so maybe we can bring that into our world in some way or another but but meantime just to I think um, franchise the loss as opposed to the way that it's disenfranchised to to count it to say this is this is a loss you know um, that that people get to, experience as devastating and big Mm -hmm. and And incomparable. Right. And it's also not just the person who is pregnant, right? It's their partner. It's their whole family. In the same way that like the losses during COVID, we talked earlier, affect like the ripple effect of all the people who are affected when someone dies. This happens with pregnancy loss too. And it's something else I touch on in my book is that don't forget the partners. Don't forget the families that are also grieving, that it's not just the person carrying the pregnancy. And so given that it's a whole family, really, that's affected by a loss, we really should be able to talk about this and recognize it in the public space in a different way. Yes. Um, there's, a, there's a movie called Return to Zero um, that's based on the, the actual experience of the uh, filmmaker and his wife. And it almost broke them apart having a stillbirth. And um, it's it's a good. I, I appreciated the dive they took into how to how how to navigate the differences right between the two partners in particular, and um, how to acknowledge that loss but go forward. Uh, you know, that's kind of what we're talking about, isn't it? Um, yeah, how to. People grieve differently, and I think having a therapist comes on really helpful and actually relationship-saving. I know my husband and I really benefited for some years with a couples therapist. I'm really happy for your advertisement for therapy and grief because (laughs) (laughs) obviously it's something I believe in deeply. Thanks so much for being with me today. I've really enjoyed the conversation. This is wonderful, Cheryl. Thanks for all you do. Absolutely. You too. To find Dr. Kate White, you can go to drkatewhite.com. Next week, I'll have Peg Conway, author of The Art of Reassembly, a memoir of early mother loss and after grief. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.